Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Television Archive. The show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Fringe. Today we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 13, titled The Transformation. Yet another phenomenal, phenomenal episode that provides... An exquisite conclusion to the story of John Scott. This is the final word in that arc, and it wraps up really, really nicely in a very, very satisfying way, and it works just so, so freaking well. So we start off with this opening sequence, and I adore this opening with every fiber of my being. So basically, This guy, Bowman, starts, like, transforming into this, like, hideous porcupine beast, essentially, on this airplane, in this airplane bathroom, and is, like, just running around trying to tell the flight attendants, like, hey, something's about to happen, I'm about to lose control and completely go nuts here, you need to... Keep me in that airplane bathroom. You need to give me all the sedatives and tranquilizers you can probably you could possibly give me. Like you need weapons to take me out. Like I, I like all of that. Please protect everyone from me type deal. And then he transforms in the airplane bathroom and just wrecks shit and just goes on a complete rampage throughout this airplane. And This sequence is so great for two reasons. One, I love the poetry of John Scott's story, both starting and ending with incidents on airplanes. Like, the pilot where John Scott's story began was the Hamburg flight, flight 627, and now we have Porcupine Man on an airplane to wrap up the John Scott storyline. It's this nice, like, little bit of a... It's this nice, poetic little deal. It's these nice, poetic little bookends. And also, this is basically a thought experiment of what if the Hulk was real and transformed on an airplane full of people? That's basically what this opening sequence is. And they handled that thought experiment so well in such a smart and clever way. Like, every single line of dialogue uh, from this guy Bowman and from the flight attendants and everything. Like, this plays out exactly how I would expect an incident like this to play out. This plays out exactly how I would expect it to if... The Hulk was real and was transforming on an airplane. Like, it's excellent. It's a really, really magnificent piece of storytelling that honestly, like, could have been released just as a short film. Like, (laughs) this opening sequence could have very, very easily just been like a short film circulating in film festivals. And it would be great. And it would be amazing. And it would be absolute 
freaking perfection and it just it really does get under your skin it is very tense and it, it, it's such a great opening it's such an amazing amazing opening sequence and then of course the actual episode starts and you know we get the typical investigating investigating the plane that crashed and the monster that wreaked havoc on it we're unearthing black box recordings uh we're examining this thing who has like 15 nipples walter talks about like the general rule in mammals of like they have double the nipples as the number of typical young they produce the size of a typical litter so like humans have Two nipples, the standard is one, the maximum is two, except in a rare case when there's uh, the number of young exceeds the number of nipples. We get to hear Walter elder the word nipple a lot, much to Peter's chagrin. (laughs) And immediately, this goes right into John Scott territory. Like, they waste no time in turning this into a John Scott story when... Olivia looks at the passenger manifest and sees Bowman and recognizes him from John Scott's memories. Recognizes him from a sit-down that he had with John Scott. And eventually the monster is identified as Bowman. And one of the associates is another person from John Scott's memories. Uh, someone he associated with. Someone he was often doing business with. Was someone else from John Scott's memories. Uh, this guy Hicks. By the way, I really, really like this moment when Olivia finally tells Charlie Francis, Hey, so I shared consciousness with John Scott, and uh, I now have some of his memories. Weird things happen in Walter Bishop's lab. Uh, and Charlie's like, well, okay. I'm just gonna... I'm just gonna go with it. I love how Charlie Francis, by the way, Charlie Francis as a character has gotten to this place... Where he's just kind of learned that he really shouldn't ask questions. Like, he really... He really really doesn't feel like he wants to explore (laughs) any of this. He really feels like he doesn't want to explore too deeply. He doesn't want to look too deeply into any of these fringe cases. And he's just like, okay. Uh, Olivia Dunham shared consciousness with John Scott and now has his memories. Uh, That's cool. I don't, uh, I don't need to ask any more questions. <laughs> There's a giant porcupine man. Whatever. I'm just gonna let it happen. <laughs> oh, a slug just came out of someone's mouth. I'm just gonna shoot it. I am Charlie Francis, killer of slugs. <laughs> like, uh, I don't need to know. I don't, I don't need to know any of this. I don't need to have any additional information. I don't, I don't need to look into this too deeply. I'm just gonna go with it. <laughs> It's just better for my sanity if I just let it happen. <laughs> like, I love how Charlie has just sort of gotten to that place where it's just like, eh. <laughs> Weird shit happens. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not gonna think about it too hard. <laughs> it's great. And honestly, probably the healthiest way to deal with this. <laughs> Charlie probably is, uh... The healthiest of us all. (laughs) Just going like, look, weird shit happens. I'm not going to look too deeply into it. I'm not going to think about it too hard. I'm just going to deal with what I know. (laughs) I'm just going to give some exposition about 
uh, this one guy that's attached to the thing, and that's just, that's my comfort place. That's my happy place, is just giving exposition about this one guy who's connected to the weird thing that I'm trying not to think about. Like, just, <laughs> that's who I am. I, I'm not, I'm not gonna venture outside of my box. <laughs> Like, he's the best of us all. He He's the smartest and wisest of us all. Anyway, <laughs> I went on that much longer than I thought I was going to. Uh, but we are diving down the rabbit hole of John Scott's memories. Eventually, we're questioning this Hicks guy, questioning this Hicks guy, questioning this Hicks guy. And there's this great moment where Dunham is grilling this dude in interrogation. And the dude's like, I think you're... Uh, confusing me with someone else. I think you're confusing me with someone else. Blah, 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 blah. And right in the middle of this interrogation, his nose starts bleeding, just like Bowman. And he starts transforming, just like Bowman. And there's this really amazing moment where he's just convulsing and quickly transforming into another porcupine monster. And Walter's, like, getting sedatives, like, okay, we need to dose him, we need to, we need to... Get some sedatives in him so he could stop the transformation. And Olivia holds back the sedative and is like, Who who did this to you? Who are you working for? What's happening here? And Hicks is like, We must have been dosed by Conrad. But the guy's name is Conrad. And, okay, Dunham gives a sedative. Like, that's enough information to go on. Uh, we place him in this medically induced coma. And what's adding... Some stuff onto the onto the pile. What's adding some intrigue on the already intriguing pile is that both Bowman and Hicks have glass discs in their hand, similar to what we noticed a while back from the whole uh, Ghost Network bus thing. And Olivia's like, "Okay, these guys have discs. I'm willing to bet John Scott has a disc. I want to exhume his body." I want to dig him up. I want to look inside his hand. And Royals is like, okay, look. His body's not buried. The disc didn't go to the NSA. It's all at Massive Dynamic. And Olivia finally gets a look behind the curtain and finally looks at uh, Nina's examination of John Scott. Uh, they have him in a state of suspended animation uh, basically under the thought that the information inside the disc self-destructs when the person dies. So they're basically trying to fool the disc into thinking John Scott's not dead yet. Uh, they managed to get a lit little pieces of information here and there. From what we know, it looks like John Scott was working for a bioterrorist cell. But that's about all we know. When they looked at that, they also found out that there's a there's a sale happening in Chicago. We don't know what time, we don't know what place, we just know a deal is happening in some place in Chicago at some point. So we just know Chicago. That's it. So naturally, the next course of action. Go back into the tank. So Olivia has, like, Peter and Walter put her in the tank again. She goes through the memories again. We get this 
weird moment where Olivia is like watching a memory and like watching herself engage in foreplay with John. It's a little uncomfortable. <laughs> Not gonna lie. <laughs> but once her memory self leaves, John Scott drops the bomb that yes, he can see her and they make contact with one another and up on the surface, up in the real real, like this kind of results in just Olivia's vitals going nuts and just Olivia being in this weird state and being cut off from Walter like she's just sort of on her own in this void. I also love this moment where Olivia pulls a gun on the memory of John Scott, interrogates the memory of John Scott, and shoots him. Like, it, it, oh, it's so good. Everything that happens in the tank is great. Everything, every single tank sequence is perfect. So, we have all that. And then John Scott finally confesses what he was actually doing, who he was actually working for. Turns out, he, Bowman, Hicks, and a few others, were government agents on an NSA black ops task force specifically to catch this Conrad guy. They went undercover in his organization and were working to take him down. And so, John Scott was a a triple agent? I guess? And Olivia, very rightly, is like, okay, this sounds like a lie. This absolutely sounds like something you would lie about. And John Scott's like, hey, talk to Hicks. If you want information, talk to Hicks. He'll tell you everything you need to know. He knows as much as I did. Like, he will tell you what's going on and he will give you the information on Conrad. And so Dunham decides to wake this dude up, administer Walter's untested, not-quite-ready antidote. And then we get this phenomenal sequence with this sale. Where Olivia and Peter go to Chicago. They now know the time and place. They go in as buyers. They already arrested the real buyer. And, like, they got Hicks. Dunham's got Hicks in her ear telling her exactly what to say at exactly the right moment. In order to get the seller to trust her. It's not Conrad himself. It's some other asshole. So, we start this sale. It is pure tension. It really, really is. Because there's so much that goes into this. There's so much that goes into this sequence. That makes you just walking on eggshells. Like, first off, there's the typical undercover whatever stuff of... Am I going to get found out? 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 There's that typical stuff. Then there's the added 
bonus of we're still not 100% sure John Scott was telling the truth about the NSA thing, it is not unlikely that John Scott was lying and Hicks is just going on with the lie and is walking her into a trap. And even if all of this is true and Hicks and John Scott were NSA and they're the good guys and they're helping her now, we still have no idea if that antidote worked. We still have no idea if Walter's makeshift antidote has any effect and Hicks could still transform into a giant porcupine monster at any point. Suffice it to say, there's a lot of reasons to be uneasy while watching this sequence. And it's so good. And again, it's so smartly written. The dialogue is so perfect. It's so brilliantly paced. Dunham and Peter, they're covering for themselves and saying the things and going through the motions and acting like badass, cocky, criminal types. It's really amazing to watch. Uh, Anna Torv and Joshua Jackson do great job with their delivery here. It's it's all so well done. It's all so freaking great. We get to see Peter shine as the like rogue that he is, the Han Solo with daddy issues that he is, and it's it's fun to watch. It's really really fun to watch. In addition to just being very uneasy for all the reasons that I just listed. Eventually, uh. This gets more complicated because then the seller's like, hey, Conrad wants to meet you. So we'll wait for Conrad. So now Dunham is like, well, we can get Conrad now. We need to wait for him. So we can't do the thing yet. We can't call the raid yet. By the way, I love the bit when Charlie Francis is briefing everybody. And he's like, okay, uh, the word... That is the signal that Olivia will say when we're supposed to go in is Christmas. We all look forward to seeing how she'll uh, work that into conversation. <laughs> it's great. It's a little great little crack. I love it. And as they're waiting for Conrad, the dude picks up another vial and is like, By the way, this is the antidote. Because the virus is so complicated, it would take you years to reverse engineer a real antidote that isn't just completely ineffective. And at this moment, you cut back to the lab, and Hicks and Walter are looking at each other like, Oh no! (laughs) And then, like, almost at that exact moment, Hicks starts transforming again. uh, Starts going back into giant porcupine monster. They have to sedate him, and we... Can't get any information picks, and this is the exact moment our seller starts to like drill down on Olivia's story. Like, hey, so you said that uh, this guy who was supposed to meet me got called back to the basement and uh, couldn't come, but why didn't he just call me himself? Who is he meeting? And Like, they now have to just wing it. They don't have the crutch of Hicks. Peter does this great thing of going like, I am not, I am not 
going to get killed over Ernesto's dirty secret. He's sick. He's sick. He's sick. He's dying. Uh, He's known for a while. And he's just uh, suffering in secret. Blah, 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 blah. This is the moment that Conrad shows up and is like, hey, so... I met this guy earlier today. He's perfectly fine. And this is the moment the raid starts and we arrest Conrad and this entire bioterrorist cell is done. It's all done. Our bioterror chemist who literally... I never gave the bio of Conrad, but essentially Conrad is a scientist who literally... All he does is make bioweapons to sell to the highest bidder. And he's actually responsible for quite a few of the things we've seen in the pattern. Actually, pretty much anything that was directly related to John Scott, it's, it's a pretty good indication that Conrad was connected to in some way. Like, if John Scott was there... Conrad was probably also somewhere in the mix. So, the Hamburg flight. Good bet that Conrad was somewhere in the mix. Uh, frickin' the the bus incident. Good indication that Conrad was probably somewhere in the mix. In fact, they never actually say this, but I'm pretty sure what happened with the bus was Conrad's organization figuring out the NSA thing, which is what also would make a pretty good explanation as to why uh, Bowman and Hicks were dosed, because he knew they were NSA. So I think what happened on the bus was NSA got found out in Conrad's organization, and the bus was them trying to weed out uh, the double agents, the moles in their organization. So you had the DEA agent with the disc in her hand and her handler who was like a triple agent and Conrad turned who was probably like working to uh, give the disc to Conrad and like Conrad would use it to find others but eventually he found others anyway. It just took him a little while longer which is how Bowman and Hicks got targeted. Uh, But all of that, probably Conrad was somewhere in the midst there. Uh, The Jacob Fisher stuff with the guy who can manipulate electricity with his mind. Uh, John Scott knew a great deal about Jacob Fisher. Decent chance that Conrad might have been pulling his strings. And by the way, this is what I love about Fringe. A lot of the... A lot of the less important questions, like, this is a show that is okay with leaving questions unanswered. It doesn't have to answer literally every single question. If it doesn't feel like it, if it's not important to the story that we learn definitively the answer to this question. Like, we don't need to know definitively what exactly the thought process behind the bus was. We don't need to know definitively if Conrad was pulling the strings on Jacob Fisher or the Hamburg flight. Like, we don't need to know definitively any of this. They just give us enough information to come up with our own theories, and everything else is just like, is it important to the story that we know this exact answer to this exact question? No? Who gives a shit? Like, they don't... They pick and choose what questions are important enough to answer, and everything else figure it out yourself. Like, 
most shows would just be like, answer every single question, every single question must have an answer, whether or not it's important to the story, me what we must have exposition. Like, they can just go, hey, do we need to know the answer for the story to progress in any way? No? Then shut up. Uh, viewers can deal with it themselves in their own minds. Like, it trusts its audience to figure it out themselves and to put the pieces of the puzzle together themselves. And, and yeah, like, we could probably guess, like, the bus was Conrad weeding out the moles in his organization. We could definitely guess that Mark Young from the Butterflies episode was giving massive dynamic tech to Conrad. Like... We can guess a lot of this stuff, but we don't know it definitively, and we don't need to because it's not important to the story that we know those answers, that we get those answers to those questions. It's very, very clever writing on their parts to just go, we only answer the questions that we need to for the story. Everything else would just be an unnecessary exposition dump that we don't need. Like, just table at, who cares? We'll trust our audience to fill in the blanks if we don't need to for the story to make sense. Like, the story still makes sense without those blanks filled in. If anything, it's more fun to just fill in the blanks yourself. If anything, it's more fun to just go like, okay, so if this means this, then maybe that means that, and maybe this is that, and maybe that is this, and maybe... Like, this is what's so smart about Fringe. This is what's so smart about Fringe is... It leaves just enough things blank that we can have these discussions... While still maintaining a damn good story. It answers the questions that need to be answered for the story to make sense. Everything else? Leave it up to the viewers to draw their own conclusions. We don't need to answer it if it's not necessary to answer it. Uh, Anyway, I just went on a whole long tangent. Point is, Conrad got arrested. And we get this beautiful ending because John Scott's consciousness is finally getting purged from Olivia's. So John Scott is evaporating from Olivia's mind. For all intents and purposes, he's dying for real. And Olivia goes into the tank one more time to essentially say goodbye. And it's a really beautiful moment where it's like, now we've kind of gone for full circle and we now know John Scott always had good intentions. Everything he did was for a very, very, very good reason. And Olivia now knows that, and he can, na- and she can now look at him as this, as this great man who she loved before all the stuff on the Hamburg flight went down. Like she can go back to that, those original feelings of affection. She can go back to those original feelings of love that she had for him. And they have this last moment together where John Scott slips the engagement ring on her finger and then he just disappears, having been gone forever and Olivia's just on the dock alone. Like, it's beautiful. It's a really, really beautiful ending. It's a perfect end to John Scott's story. I love it. 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 God, this show's so good. This show is so great. Its first major arc has wrapped up perfectly. Now, we just have ZFT. So there's that. And in case you haven't figured it out, 
pretty much the majority of the last uh, seven episodes of the season is going to be ZFT related and is going to be along those lines. Like, pretty much the rest of the season is ZFT. So, get ready for that. Actually, I'm pretty sure the next episode... Yeah, the next episode is ZFT. So, we'll get more ZFT very, very soon. Uh, But yeah, great episode all around. Uh, If you like this... Favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives, so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's simple as just a push of a button on the Anchor app. I'll play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark pledges a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. If you become a patron, you can also get access to the Television Archive Supplemental, which I'll be putting up there once every month. Or, if that's not work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Tomorrow we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 14. Talk to you then.